Section forty seven of the Mysteries of London, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Mysteries of London, Volume two, by George W. M. Reynolds. Section forty seven. Mr. Greenwood's Journey. It was six o'clock on the evening following the incidents related in the two preceding chapters. Mr. Greenwood had just concluded an early dinner, early for him, after having devoted the greater part of the day to business in the city, and a small portion of it to his fair Georgian, for whom he had taken elegantly furnished apartments in Suffolk Street, Pall Mall. Having disposed of his last glass of champagne, the honourable member for Rottenborough rang the bell. Lafleur made his appearance. "'Is the chaise ordered for seven precisely?' inquired Mr. Greenwood. "'Yes, sir. Seven precisely, sir,' answered the valet. "'Did you write to my agent at Rottenborough to tell him that I should pass through that town at half-past eight, and that although I wished to preserve a strict incognito, yet I should not mind being recognised while the horses are changing at the inn?' "'I mentioned all that, sir,' replied Lafleur, "'and I suggested that he had better get together a hundred or so of persons in the tap-room "'to be ready to rush out and cheer you.' "'That was well thought of, Lafleur. "'I have already sent a paragraph to the morning newspaper, in which I am a shareholder, "'stating that I was enthusiastically cheered as I passed through Rottenborough. "'It will appear to-morrow morning. "'Have you renewed my positive orders to the policeman on this beat?' "'to take all beggars into custody who are found loitering near my door?' "'I have, sir. One woman, with three whimpering children, "'was dragged off to the station-house half an hour ago "'for looking too earnestly down the area windows,' said Lafleur. "'Her husband has just been to beg you to intercede with the inspector for her release. "'He said he was a hard-working man, and that it must be a mistake, "'as his wife was no beggar.' "'And what did you say, Lafleur?' demanded Mr. Greenwood sternly. "'I said nothing, sir. I merely banged the door in his face. "'That was right and proper. I am determined to put down vagrancy. "'Nothing is more offensive to the eye than those crawling wretches "'who are perpetually dinning in one's ears a long tale about their being half-starved. "'Yes, sir, it is very disagreeable, sir,' observed Lafleur. "'The free and independent electors of Rottenborough "'have not sent me to Parliament for nothing, I can assure you,' "'continued Mr. Greenwood. "'No, sir,' responded Lafleur. "'And I, from my place in the House, "'will denounce this odious system of mendicancy,' added Mr. Greenwood. "'Yes, sir,' observed Lafleur. "'By the by, did you send the letter I gave you just now to the post?' The valet answered in the affirmative. "'I'm glad of that. It was to the Reverend Dr. Beganuff, the rector of some place in some county. I am sure I forget where. However, the Reverend gentleman is having the parish church enlarged, or made smaller, I really forget which, but I know it's something of the kind, and he has sent a circular to all persons whose names are in the court guide, soliciting subscriptions.' I cannot, of course, refuse to contribute my mite of five pounds to the pious work, especially as the list of subscribers is to be advertised in the principal London and provincial papers, 
we must support the church, Lafleur. Yes, sir, decidedly, sir, observed the valet. What would become of us without the church? continued Mr. Greenwood. It is the source from which flow all the blessings of Christian love, hope, benevolence, and charity. Hark, Lafleur, I do really believe there is a woman singing a ballad in the street. Run out and give her into custody this minute. Beg your pardon, sir, said the valet. It's only the muffin boy. Oh, that's different, observed Mr. Greenwood, rising from his seat. The chaise will be here at seven, you say? Yes, sir. You and Filippo will accompany me. Tell Filippo to see that his firearms are in good order. And do you attend to mine as well as your own? Not that I apprehend any danger on such a road as that on which we are about to travel. Still, it is better to be prepared. Decidedly, sir, answered Lafleur, not a muscle of his countenance betraying any extraordinary emotion. Take a lamp to my study, said Greenwood, and then go and see about the firearms. Let my case of pistols be put inside the chaise. Yes, sir and Lafleur was about to leave the room, when he suddenly recollected himself, and said, "'If you please, sir, your bootmaker sent you new slippers this morning, wrapped up in a piece of the weekly dispatch. I thought I had better mention it, sir.' "'By God, you have done well to acquaint me with this infamy, Lafleur,' cried Mr. Greenwood, desperately excited. "'The scoundrel! He reads the dispatch, does he? The journal that possesses more influence over the masses than even pulpits—' governments sovereigns or religious tracts the villain i always thought that man was a democrat at heart because one day when i told him if he didn't vote for the tory church warden he would lose my custom he smiled yes smiled and so he reads the dispatch the people's journal the vehicle of all argument against our blessed constitution the champion to which all who fancy themselves oppressed fly as naturally as bees to flowers. Lafleur, added Mr. Greenwood solemnly, you will send to that bootmaker and tell him to show his face no more at the house of the member for Rottenborough. Yes, sir. And Lafleur left the room. A few minutes afterwards, Mr. Greenwood repaired to his study, where the lamp had already been placed upon the table. He then opened his iron safe, and drew forth a large canvas bag full of sovereigns. This he consigned to a tin box, resembling those in which lawyers keep their clients' papers. Three more bags, of the same size as the first, were taken from the safe and stowed away in this japanned case. Four thousand pounds, murmured Greenwood to himself. How many a family would be made happy with only the hundredth part of that sum? but those who want the glittering metal should toil for it as I have done. Mr. Greenwood, having thus complimented himself upon those toils, whereby he had gained his wealth, proceeded to take a large portfolio from the iron safe. Partially opening its various compartments, so as to obtain a glance at the contents, he smiled still more complacently than when his eyes lingered on the canvas bags. Sixteen thousand pounds in Bank of England notes, he exclaimed aloud, as he consigned the portfolio to the tin case. And these twenty thousand pounds, judiciously applied in Paris, will produce me twenty-five thousand clear gain. Twenty-five thousand at the least! 
his really handsome countenance wore an expression of triumph as he carefully locked the tin case and placed the key in his pocket my combinations are admirable thirty thousand pounds already embarked in these parisian speculations have prepared the way for enormous gains and now continued greenwood now this sum and he glanced towards the tin box will strike the decisive blow it is a glorious science that of the financier and who is more subtle than i true i have experienced some losses during the past week a few thousands but they are nothing i was wrong to job as i did in the english funds the fluctuations in the french securities are the means by which brilliant fortunes can be made the timid talk of the great risks pshaw let them combine their projects as i have done he ceased and surveyed himself complacently in the mirror above the mantel he then rang the bell lafleur appeared in about a minute but so calm composed and unruffled was his countenance that no living soul would have suspected that he had been attentively listening at the door of the study all the while his master was transferring the treasure from the iron safe to the tin box bring me my upper coat and travelling cap lafleur said mr greenwood not choosing to lose sight of his tin box lafleur once more disappeared and speedily returned with his master's travelling attire he announced at the same time that the chaise was at the door in a few minutes mr greenwood was ensconced in the vehicle the tin box was stowed away under the seat and his case of pistols lay by his side with inconvenient reach filippo and lafleur mounted the dicky the postilions cracked their whips and the equipage rolled rapidly away from spring gardens at half-past eight o'clock precisely the vehicle drove up to the door of the principal inn of which the town of rottenborough could boast the ostlers seemed to bungle in a very unusual manner as they changed the horses and full five minutes elapsed ere they could loosen the traces in a word they punctually obeyed the directions of Mr. Greenwood's agent in that famous town. Suddenly the door of the taproom burst open, and vomited forth about eighty of such queer and suspicious-looking fellows that no prudent man would have walked down a dark lane where he knew any one of them to be lurking. Out they came, in most admirable disorder, pell-mell, jostling, hustling, pushing, larking with each other, hooray greenwood bravo greenwood they shouted at the tops of their voices somewhat disguised in liquor greenwood forever down with the tories no no shouted a little man dressed in deep black and who suddenly appeared at the head of the mob down with the liberals you mean oh ha so it is cried the mob and then they shouted louder than ever hooray for greenwood down with the liberals the tories forever then the little man in black, who was none other than the honourable member's agent, rushed up to the carriage window, exclaiming, "'Ah, Mr. Greenwood, you are discovered, you see. Very pretty, indeed, to think of passing through Rottenborough, incog, you who are the hope and the glory of the town. Luckily a party of gentlemen, all independent electors,' added the lawyer, glancing round at the ragged and half-drunken mob were partaking of some little wholesome refreshment together quite accidentally in the tavern 
and thus they are blessed with an opportunity of paying their respects to their representative in our glorious parliament bravo greenwood ejaculated the crowd of gentlemen when the little lawyer had concluded his speech gentlemen said mr greenwood thrusting his head out of the chaise window you cannot conceive the delight which i experience at this most unexpected most unlooked-for and entirely spontaneous expression of your good feeling towards me gentlemen when i behold an enlightened and independent a respectable and an intelligent assembly thus coming forward to signify an approval of my parliamentary career i meet with an ample recompense for all my exertions and toils to maintain the interests of the great constituency of rottenborough gentlemen the eyes of the world are upon you at this moment then the world can see in the dark without spectacles cried one of the free and independent inhabitants of rottenborough yes gentlemen cried greenwood unabashed by this interruption which raised a general titter the eyes of the world are upon you for when rottenborough thus emphatically expresses itself in favour of its member it is avowing its staunch adherence to the true principles of conservatism this is a great fact gentlemen and so long as rottenborough remains faithful to those principles the democratic disturbers of the public peace must look on and tremble with this splendid finale mr greenwood sank back in the chaise which immediately drove rapidly away amidst the uproarious shouts of the ragamuffins and tatterdemalions whom the lawyer had convoked according to lafleur's written instructions for the occasion the ragamuffins and tatterdemalions were however well recompensed for their trouble for they were copiously regaled with beer and tobacco before the arrival of the honourable member and as soon as the member had departed a supper of boiled tripe and onion sauce was served up to them the entertainment concluded with a quarrel and a battle among the convivialists several of whom took home with them broken heads and black eyes as trophies of their prowess meantime the travelling chaise rolled along the road the night was beautiful clear and frosty and the moon rode high in the heavens Newington was passed, and Mr. Greenwood was just falling into a delicious sleep, when four men, wearing masks and enveloped in thick pilot coats, rushed from a hedge. The horses were stopped suddenly, and two of the ruffians presented pistols at the heads of the postilions, menacing them with instant death if they offered any resistance. Greenwood lowered the windows of the chaise, and holding a pistol in each hand, exclaimed, "'I'll shoot the first who dares approach me.' Filippo leapt to the ground on one side, and Lafleur followed him so closely that he fell over the Italian, one of whose pistols went off by the shock, but without doing any mischief. Before he could make an effort to rise, Lafleur struck him on the head with the butt-end of one of his weapons, and laid him senseless on his back. Meantime, while the lully prig and long bob took charge of the postilions, as above stated, the resurrection man and the buffer rushed up to the door of the chaise. Greenwood fired point-black at Tidkins's head, but without the slightest effect. The door was opened, and the resurrection man sprang into the vehicle. Greenwood fired his second pistol, but it merely singed his assailant's hair. Then the member of Parliament was dragged into the road, and bound hand and foot almost in the twinkling of an eye. 
This being done, the resurrection man hastened to search the chaise and speedily secured the tin box. He gave a long, shrill whistle. This was a signal to announce his success, for it had been previously agreed amongst the ruffians that they should not utter a word more than might be absolutely necessary, so that their voices might not be afterwards recognised in case suspicion fell upon them. Moreover, the resurrection man's voice was well known to Greenwood, and thus this precaution was not a useless one. The four robbers and Lafleur now beat a rapid retreat towards an adjacent chalk-pit, the buffer leading the way, and the resurrection man carrying the tin box. End of section 47